0: If you've got your Bible um, with you, will you turn to the book of Revelation with me? We're going to look at uh, a theme over the next few weeks when I'm speaking. I want to introduce um, something tonight. So if you have your Bible handy, if you turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, my theme is Jesus in the midst. Jesus in the midst is a theme that I'm going to take for a few weeks whenever I'm speaking in the evening And I want to talk about how Jesus Christ wants to be amongst us, among you, among us, with us, with you, and in our lives, in your life. And how you and I can actually know God and know the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of our lives. And um, it's something that's really important. And, um, you know, we heard it earlier that he wants to walk with us. and, And this idea of God wants to go on a walk and wants us to walk with him. And so the Christian faith is a relational faith. It's it's not about following just rules and regulations, it's not about coming to meetings, it's not just about being in a a church building, but it's about having a relationship with the living God. And that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus gives a picture and an understanding to some very frightened people. And so that's where we're going to go um, uh, over a number of weeks. And so tonight I'm introducing a theme. So this is by way of an introduction. So we'll see where we'll go with this over the next few moments. So hang in there with me. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read the chapter as we read it together. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And it reads like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw. Verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To, whom, to him whom loves us and released us from the, our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his uh, God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his his chest with a golden um, girdle. And his head was the, and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze. And when it, when it has... Being caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. Verse sixteen. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp edge two edged sword, and his face like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. The living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. And for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches Jesus amongst us is my theme at the time of this letter we call it the book of revelation but it was a letter it was a letter that had been written by a man called John, we'll speak about him in a minute but the timing of this prophecy this letter was about 95 AD so Jesus Christ died about 33 AD And this letter is 95 AD, some sort of 60-odd years later, after the death of Jesus. And that's the timing of this, when these these words were written. And at this time, I'm going to share a few things so you get a bit of a background to why this book was written. But round about this time, a Roman emperor by the name of Domitian was the emperor of the day. And Domitian had exiled John, the writer or the man who had this prophetic vision, to the island of Patmos. Patmos was a little volcanic island um, sort of about 12 miles off of the coast of Turkey today, Asia Minor, at the time of writing. And Patmos was a, what they call a Roman penal colony. In other words, it was an island where you were sent... To go to jail. It was a bleak place. It wasn't a very nice place. It wasn't going on holiday in Corfu. As people do today. It wasn't one of the Greek islands. Where you, where you chill out and have a nice time. This was a very nasty place. And so John had been sent there it says. He'd been sent to the. He said I had a vision on, on Patmos. And this island was a place where he was imprisoned. He would have been doing hard labour. In quarries. Very, very horrible life that he'd been living. And with a lot of other people who were being imprisoned by the Roman uh, emperor at the time. And now Domitian, the emperor of the day, had sent out a decree throughout the then Roman Empire. And this was the decree. That once a year, everybody in the Roman Empire had to swear allegiance to Domitian, the then Roman emperor, as God. And there was a saying that they had to swear by. Caesar is Lord and God. Caesar is Lord. In, in the Roman Empire at that time, there was the cult of Caesar, the, the name given to the Roman Emperor. And the cult of Caesar was this that you worship Caesar as Lord, Lord and Master. You, in other words, you were sold out to Caesar. Now that was a problem for Christians because in Christianity, the early days of the early Christians, there was a saying amongst true Christians. And this is the saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the my Lord and Master. It was one of the first sayings amongst Christians and it marks out early Christians. In actual fact, you can find some graffiti writing where Christians would actually write Jesus is Lord, Master, Master. That put Christians and anyone who was a believer on a collision course with the Roman Empire to say that Caesar was Lord. But Domitian went further. Not only did he say, I am Lord, but you had to confess that he is Lord and God. Lord and God. If you didn't do that, you were put to death. You, your household, your servants and everything would be obliterated. And so round about that time, and historians tell us that across the whole Roman world, there came a general um, trial across the whole world at that time. Whereby a decree went out that you had to give allegiance to Caesar as Lord and God. And this is what was happening right at that moment in time. Throughout the world at that moment, people were having to call upon Caesar as Lord and God. To you and I, it's no big deal, is it? To you and I, it's absolutely no big deal. We are so far removed 2,000 years later. You see, in the Roman Empire, it was more than just calling upon Caesar as Lord and God. It was much more than that. For in the Roman Empire, the unifying factor of an empire was this. If you look at me for a moment. The unifying factor of an empire. And this is what brought unity. The whole Roman Empire stood on one thing, unity. And the unifying factor in the empire was raised up to be the actual emperor himself. And so emperor worship was more than just strange belief in a god it was your social cohesion. It brought unity to the whole world, the then known world. And so it, brought, it was a sense of social unity, religious unity, political unity. And so if you did not bow to the Roman emperor, you were not just doing a, a, a religious thing. You were turning your back socially, politically. It's tantamount today if someone is a Muslim... In Islam, if you turn to Christianity, your entire family rejects you, tries to kill you. Because you turn your back not only on God, the God of Islam, but the whole family, your culture, your world and society. And it's the same situation that Christians faced over 2,000 years ago. Exactly the same situation. Now, into this background... And this is what was happening at the very time while John is on the island of Patmos. This is what's happening throughout the world. A great tribulation. He talks about the great tribulation that comes upon the world. And so at that time, believers throughout the world were struggling to make an understanding of where are you, God? Where are you, God, when we need you? What is the point of my Christian faith? It's killing me. Literally, we will die if we, do, if we swear allegiance. don't swear allegiance to Caesar. And where are you, God, to stop this powerful Roman emperor? And this Roman emperor was breathing injustice and saying to the world, I am God, follow me. And so you can imagine Christians saying to themselves, where's God in all of this? Where's God in my life? And there's John on this island, helpless in chains, thinking, what can I do to help other believers? And into this, the book of Revelation is written. People think of the book of Revelation just about the end of the world. But into this events of time, the writings of the prophecy of Revelation is written to encourage the hearts and minds of men and women at that very moment in time. It was a time of worldwide terror, trial, fear. Where people were asking, where's God in the midst of all of this? And so John says, I was on the island of Patmos. And probably in the midst of his prayers, he says, I have a revelation. And Jesus appears to him. The word revelation is it, the word apocalypse. Apocalypsis is the actual translation of the word. And for us today, we think of apocalypse as a bad thing happening. But the literal translation of that word means this. Unveiling. <coughs> unveiling. Unveiling. And what John had was an unveiling where Jesus, where God gives him a picture. The word literally means to pull back a curtain so you can see clearly something that was hidden from you. And what John receives is an answers to prayers, probably countless thousands of prayers of people saying, Where's God in this? Where are you God in my life when I need you? Where are you God in the world? Where are you God in this trial, in this trouble? Then John has a revelation, an unveiling. A curtain is pulled back, and then we go on to see um, in in the um, chapters two and three. He speaks to a number of churches, seven churches, who were particularly going through trial at the time. And then there is an unfolding vision of heaven and the heavenly realm, and the angels of heaven, and of warfare in heaven, and of warfare coming onto the earth. And we see that the spiritual realm is opened up, where God is actually in charge. He's in control It is actually on our case in the invisible realm of the spirit. And that will be played out on the earth below. And John is shown a picture that, hey, hang on a minute, God says to John, don't panic, don't worry. I'm going to show you, I'm showing you that I am here, I am for you and that I am in control. And that's the sort of background of life and times. And so he, John then writes this revelation down, this unveiling This understanding of where is God, what is God doing, what is he going to do, and who is really in charge. Because at that time, the Roman emperor was saying, I'm in charge. So you can just imagine how people were thinking at that moment. He wrote to a number of churches. He says the seven churches in Asia. And then there's some funny places. Ephesus, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Laodicea. You think to yourself, what on earth is all of that? Those seven churches are basically in the area of Turkey where a lot of people go on holiday today. It's the place where lots of people head out towards Turkey today. And in the east, they were a strategic place because the east met west at that point. And at that time, the church was coming under great trial. Those churches were swept away by Islam some years later, many hundreds of years later. But they were strategic at that time because there's Turkey and there is Greece and the Roman Empire to the west, and east and west were very close. They were a strategic place for trade and commerce at the time. And at that moment, the churches were in trial, and God was speaking to them that he was on their case, and he was for them, and he was with them. There's a number of things that we see that John has in Revelation chapter 1. The first thing we see is this, his vision of Jesus is majestic. Jesus is all powerful. In verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Uh, I have the keys to death and hell, a bit later on in chapter 1. And uh, in in verses 12, it says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me in the middle of the lampstands. And it says his robe was reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden um, girdle. His head was of hair like white as wool. His eyes uh, uh, like uh, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet burnished bronze that caused to be glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And his right hand he held the seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its strength. In other words, he couldn't even look at the face of God. He couldn't even look at the face of Jesus Christ. They tell you at an eclipse, don't look up at the sun. Not with the naked eye, it's too strong. Don't look at it, you have, to, you have to look at something else. I remember some years ago, when we had an eclipse, and actually, they, there's this thing you have to do, where you get your um, binoculars, or whatever it is, and you put them up at the sun, but you put them on a piece of paper, and then you see the, what is it, solar eclipse, lunar, whatever it is, solar eclipse. Anyway, you're not know at the gist of it, but you don't look up at it. I mean, if I look at these lights, they make me, because I can't see you now, but if we look up at the sun, it's the, but that's the picture of God. He is all-consuming. And the picture that John has, that we don't follow a weak and feeble God. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is meek. He is mild. He is a lamb who went to the slaughter. But the picture that he shows himself as well is almighty God. Alpha and omega. In other words, it means this. He has the first say, alpha, omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, God is saying this. I have the first say of the universe, and I have the very last say. Have you ever met someone who always has to have the last say? Some of you are laughing. Probably, maybe it's you who likes to have the last say, perhaps. Have you ever met someone that likes to have the last say? You can never get a word in edge, and then they've always got the last say. And this is what Jesus says on history. And this is what Jesus was saying on life. And this is what Jesus was saying, my wife is laughing, because... But this is what Jesus was saying on their problem, on their burdens. He's saying this: I have the first say to life. I am author. I am creator. I'm alpha. This is these are these are the words of God for God. I have the first say on life. I am the one who says it, and it happens. If I don't say it, it doesn't happen. Alpha, I am Omega. If I have the last say, I'm the full stop. When it ends, I say it ends. It doesn't end until I say it ends. You know what people are saying about the world ending? Don't listen to anyone. When God says it ends, then it ends. Don't worry, don't panic, don't run for cover. I know they talk about 2012 and there's a film about 2012 and Inca prophecies and all this sort of stuff. When God says it's the end, then it's the end. He has the final say. Got nothing to worry about if our hands are in the hands of the living God. And this is what he was saying to a people who were hurting, broken, bruised, pleading. They were giving their lives. They were losing their lives. Where is God? And Jesus says, here I am. I'm here, even though the emperor is breathing heart, hatred and hell upon your lives. And some of us will be in those situations. We'll feel like hell is breathing down your neck. Maybe you've had some bad news. Maybe someone said some bad stuff to you. Maybe you've had bad stuff done to your life. Maybe you're worried or concerned about your livelihood. Maybe you're not sure about the future. Maybe your life feels a bit like the island of Patmos. It's volcanic, It's not much to it, it's barren. But God says this to John at that moment on that in imprisonment. God said to the people and giving John a picture, I am God no matter what you see or what is around you. I have the first say to life and I have the very last say on life. And the picture of Jesus is majestic, awesome, creator God. In all of the great revivals in the church, people have seen God as an awesome God. Sometimes we get a bit flippant in the modern age in which we live. God is an awesome God, is a majestic God. And Nero, uh, uh, Nero, Domitian the emperor, was nothing compared to the living God. This is what Jesus showed himself as. I'm on your case. I am God. I am the one who set the world into the beginning. I am the one who will say when the world ends. I am the one who said you into life at the very beginning. I will say when it comes to an end for you. He's the beginning and the very end, holding us in the very palm of his hand. This is an exalted picture of a majestic, mighty, and amazing God. You know, the God that you and I serve is an incredible God. You know, right now in Egypt, there are Christians suffering. In Iraq, in Iran, I know um, quite a number of, I was saying this, of Iranian Christians. They are the most wonderful people. Iranians make amazing Christians. They so love God and they're so losing their lives. Right now, for being a Christian. Do you know? I'm not saying, in our, I'm not prophesying anything in our nation, but in our nation, to be a Christian, it's getting, it, we're not there like those countries yet, but to be a Christian will be something to be despised. You know, I do not have to, you know, my life is easy, your life is easy. In Iran, you lose your life to be a Christian. Right now, in the world, right now, people like you and me, I remember meeting a great young man called Sharam. And Sharam was a very well-educated young man. He was a doctor in a hospital in a city in Iran. And he fled the nation. And he left his children and his wife behind. And he showed me a video one day. He said, you must look at this. I didn't describe the whole video to Helen. I had to watch someone being stoned. A lady being stoned in Iran. He said, you must watch this. I won't tell you the whole details. It was a video nasty. He says, you don't see this very often. He said, this is what happens in my country. I had to get out. He says, I need this God. So we talked about Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. He got baptized. He started to lead other people to become Christians. He said, in my country, many people are escaping Iran. Many are becoming Christians now. There are now loads, of, hundreds of thousands of Iranian Christians around the world who are beginning to influence their own country. God is doing something in the Islamic world, you know. What an amazing, we have an amazing God. And this is the picture that God gives of our life and your life. We can call upon a great God right now, wherever you may face. This is a majestic picture of God who is in control. Although in the background, stuff is not good. In the foreground, stuff is not good in my life. Let me tell you, even if I might not feel too good, God is there. God is God. He is the... Alpha and Omega I believe he has the first say In my life and the last say in my life I believe he has the first say In our church and the last say in our church I'm not worried about what. Well I am worried sometimes about what people say But what God says is the thing that we need to know He has the first word and the last word Get the word of God Get God's first word and last word Over your life and my life And our church and our nation and our city And our town and this is what Jesus was showing John I know you're weak I know you're worried I know it's crumbling around you but this is who I truly am the exalted, risen, majestic I am the living God I am your God the second thing that we see moving on quickly the second thing that we see Jesus is a majestic but he's also in the midst in other words he's among look at this in Revelation um, Chapter 1, verse 13, it says, And in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching his feet and girded across his chest with a golden girdle. In the middle of the lampstands, we're told in chapter 1 that the lampstands are the churches. That the churches, this is symbolic. Revelation is a lot of symbolism and picture language. And so what we're told in, in Revelation 1 is that those lampstands are the churches. And what we see is one like the Son of Man... It says, the NIV says among the lampstands, the New King James Version says in the midst, the New American Standard says in the middle of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, the same majestic God is in the middle, is amongst, in the midst. You know, the God that we serve is a mighty God, an amazing God. He has the first word, the last word on our lives. But he's not the chief executive of the company that sits in a a nice big leather seat somewhere at the company. You never see him. This is a God who comes and walks right down amongst us. You know, um, when Annette and I were in India and we, we were at a pastor's conference of 400 pastors, ladies and men. It was an amazing conference. This is one of the things that I was sharing all the time. And I would walk around. And it's not the sort of done thing. You sort of stand on the platform and you speak. But I was walking around and saying that Jesus is in the midst. He touches your life. And I was saying this to pastors. And of course, you know, in, the, in a nation where you're untouchable. And some of these were very low caste people. You know, someone like the pastor walking around. It, it, it absolutely, well you can imagine it, it turned everything upside down. That was a revelation. But we serve a God that wants to be amongst us. It's amazing. And what John sees is this, that this Jesus is not a distant God. He's not a God far away, but he wants to be in the middle and amongst your life. Your family, your home, your job, your worries, your joys, your fears, your tears. This is a God who actually wants to be in amongst our lives. Not just in church when we're here now, you know. Not just now. Not just in this... It's dangerous when I walk about, isn't it? It's not just... Not just... just, Just for a meeting... This is a God who wants to be in our lives out of this meeting. When the door is closed and you're alone at home on your own or with whoever you're with, when we're at work, in our lives, God cares. The thing is, this is a God who cares. This is a God that wants to be amongst us and he wants to be in the midst. And the revelation and the letter and this letter to the seven churches is, this is a majestic God, but it's a majestic God that wants to be in the middle and amongst our lives. he He was comforting them. And encouraging them and saying, I I, am a God. If you welcome me, I'll be in your life. If you make me welcome, I'll be in the midst of your life. I want to say to you, God wants to be in the midst of our church. That's the difference between having church meeting and meeting with God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a church meeting. But I do want to meet with God. But what's the difference? It's when Jesus is in the midst that we meet with God. When he stands amongst the lampstand, when he stands amongst us. And to do that, we have to make him welcome in our lives, our lifestyle, our actions, our attitudes. And this is what God is saying I want to be amongst you. I want to be with you. And this is what he shows. And so we see a majestic God who wants to be in the middle and in the amongst. and in the midst of our lives. Now, let's move on. Third thing, we're coming to a close. So Jesus reveals himself in the midst of all of this turmoil, tribulation and trial. And if you think you've got worries, we're sort of setting a picture of what it was like round about that time for people. He shows himself as an amazing, awesome creator, first and last word, majestic. He has the power to do anything. Not only is he far and distant, but he can be in your heart and in your life right now. That's the good news. In the midst, in your plans, in your family, in your home. Third thing is this. He then goes on to speak, and we'll see this as we unpack this over the next few weeks. This is just really an introduction to this theme. But uh, he, he, he gives um, comfort and a challenge. When he speaks to each of these seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 following, which we won't look at now, but we'll unpack in the next few weeks, he gives a comfort and a challenge. The comfort is this. To each church, he says, I know. You go and have a look at it. You read it when you read to the, the word to each of the churches. I know your deeds. I know your plans. I know you. You read it to each church as I know. The comfort is this. God knows you. God cares. Have you ever done stuff in your life and thought, no one cares. Church don't care. Husband don't care. Wife don't care. It's, it's, it's pretty bad, isn't it? Let's all pack up and go home now, shall we? No one cares. I want to say to you God, I know this is, this is almost a cliche, but God cares and God knows. One of the survival techniques in church life, hear this if you forget everything, the survival technique in your marriage, the survival technique at work, at college, at home. When you think that no one cares, no one sees, I want to say this to you right now. God sees everything that you and I do and go through, say and feel, and he honestly, 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 sincerely, completely, he cares. He knows. To the church of Ephesus, he says, "I know all about you. To Laodicea and Smyrna, I know everything that you do. You it's not hidden. He knows. God knows everything. He sees you. He knows all about our lives. But the thing about God is this. He cares. And his comfort to the church is, I know what you're going through. He was saying to them, I know what um, Domitian is doing. I know the pain that you're feeling right now. I know your tears. My son went through this for you. We know. I know. And I care. God is, not only does he know, but the thing is that God cares. Not only does he care, but he's got the power to do something. Remember, he's got the first say and the last say on life. And that's the difference with this God. He's a God who knows. And so there's a comfort. He says, I know to each of the churches. And I know what you're feeling. And I care about you. And I'm with you. And I'm with your life. And I want to be with you. If only you'll let me. I don't know what you're struggling with right now. I don't know what you're worried about right now. But I know what the Bible says. The word of God says that God says, I know. And I care. That's the comfort. The challenge to every one of the churches, he gives a comfort. I know. And then he gives each one of those churches a challenge. Now, you're neither hot or cold. In other words, get hot. The challenge is get hot. Uh, to each church, listen to what the Spirit is saying. Um, to, eat, to one of the churches, he says, um, there's idolatry. There's idolatry. Deal with your idolatry. So there's a comfort to each church and there's a challenge. And the challenge, the comfort is I know. And the challenge is now go. Live for me. The comfort is I know is the comfort. And the challenge is now go. And the challenge for you and I is that God knows what we're doing God knows what we're saying. God knows how we're feeling. God knows what your struggle is. And and he says, I care and it can change and we can do something about this together. If you'll let me be in the midst of your life, I can stand, I can help. If you'll let me, now go. Will you change? There's a challenge. Can we do something about this together? And this is what he says to the church. And you know, he says the same thing today. He was saying that to them then and he says the same today. How do you welcome Jesus in the midst? How can you make him welcome for your life? There are four simple things you can do. I'll take a minute for each one. Number one, worship. How can you welcome him? How can you make Jesus welcome? How can you let him be amongst you and in and with us? And how can we as a church make him welcome so that he can be in the midst of our lives? How can you make him welcome in the midst of your marriage and home? How can we make him welcome in your life and my heart? The first thing we can do is worship. Throughout the book of Revelation, you see a picture of worship. And there was worship in heaven. And they all bowed down in worship. And the 24 elders prayed out loud and called upon God in worship. And the multitude of people were at worship. The book of Revelation is all about worship. What is worship? Worship is giving your heart unreservedly. Sometimes you hear somebody say, Oh, they really worship their boyfriend. Or they really worship their girlfriend. Or they really, that, that person really worships. I don't know. Madonna, or whatever it is, I don't know. No one worships Madonna. No, 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 no. I'm really out of step. I know. I'm totally out of step with music. Worship is this: you give your heart. It's the giving of your heart. That's what we. Hey, you can sing a song tonight, and we think we're worshiping. But you can walk out the door, not be changed in your life, and still have a habit. Worship is the giving of my heart, which brings about a change in my life before God. First thing. Second thing we can do, so it's a giving of our heart to God. I've coined a phrase, worship is is my abandoned heart in the hands of a loving God. Give God your life. That's worship. Second thing we do is holiness. When I give my heart, then my attitude, my life, my character, and my conduct will change holiness, in other words God is holy and the Bible says be ye holy, that doesn't mean to say I'm a holy Joe because I'm a Christian, I'm a holy Joe I'm perfect, not at all in actual fact, sometimes you hear people say oh I'm not going to go to that church it's full of all of those holy people it's like saying oh, well, I'm not going to go to McDonald's it's full of all of <laughs> horrible people, or people eat burgers <laughs> or holy people I don't know it, it doesn't make sense. Church is a place of broken people, broken lives. Hey, every human being is broken. The Bible says that every human being on the face of the planet has fallen away from God. To coin a phrase, when Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, he cracked. You might think I've cracked now, to quote Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> should be quoting from the Bible, not Humpty Dumpty. But when mankind fell from God... Our hearts broke. We cracked. Why do you think there's so... People will say there's more to life than this. Why are you meeting... I meet more and more people. Hey, don't listen when people say spirituality is dead. It's not. More and more people's hearts are cracked. We want more from life. Money isn't everything. And we're running out of it at the moment. So we know it's not everything. Life is more than that. Life is about having my heart right with who I am. And the creator who made me. And so our hearts crack. And so, you know, in church life we have people that are broken. Because human beings are. What does God do? He specializes in putting us back together again. So holiness is about my life being put back together. And allowing God to make me wholer. And the cracks gradually get dealt with. But it means that I can't carry on in adultery. I can't carry on in Immorality. To coin a phrase, I can't get plastered at the weekend as a Christian. You can't. Holiness is about my life before God being put back together gradually in his time and with his help. That's the second thing. So my heart being changed. The third thing, faith. Faith is trust. So the first thing is how can I make God welcome? By worship. The second thing, how can I make Jesus in the midst of my life? Through holiness, allowing him to change my heart, in other words, because I'm not going to be perfect straight away. The third thing is faith. Faith is active trust. I've got to be active, not passive. I can't just sit like I'm sitting on the edge of the stage now and say, okay, God, come on then. Come on then, God. Sometimes that's what people do in church. Come on then, pastor. What are you going to tell me? Come on then, what are you going to do? Come on then, what's our worship going to be like this week? How passive is that? Active. Listen, if I'm going to sit on a seat, I could stand up all day and think about sitting on a seat, but I've got to go actually go down and sit on it. And that's what faith is. Faith is actively sitting on it or, 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 or giving my life over to that seat. So when I trust God, I give my life to, over to God. And faith is active trust. It's not passive to do, to actually faith, well, I have to step up and step out. If you're going to trust God, you've got to step up and say, I'm, I'm going to believe in you, God. And then you've got to step out on a limb and say, I'm going to do something about this. Faith is very active. And in the church today, we are in danger of being very passive. Why passive? Because we get everything off the internet. We don't, we don't have to search too far. And everything can be given to us almost on a plate. Beware. Faith is active. It's about me saying, I give my life to you, God. I'm going to stand up and step out. It's active. I don't have to work hard at it, but I've got to act. It's a risk. I step. I give my life. So perhaps God is saying to you as a Christian, trust me. Believe in me. Then tonight he might say, well, you're going to stand up and step out. Perhaps to some of us he said, you've got some habits. You've got to give up. There's an addiction that's got to be broken. We've got to stand up and step out and say, okay, God will take my life. For some of us, there's things we've got to make a decision on. Then we have to stand up in God and step out. That's faith. Not easy, but with God's help, he's got the first word and the last word. And the final thing is this. So, worship, holiness, faith. All these things, things make God welcome. Do you want to be in a church that's exciting? Then step out in these things and we'll make God welcome. Do you want your marriage life to be exciting? Do you want your life to be exciting? Jesus can be in the midst and we can make him welcome. And the good news is this. We can actually make God welcome in my life, your life, and in our church. If we step out in worship, holiness, and faith. Let's pray together. God bless you. For being patient. And for listening, Jesus wants to be in the midst. He wants to be among us. He has the first word and the last word on life. He wants to be in our lives and in our church. The excitement for me is that He wants to be in the church. He says He was amongst the lampstands. But that will take us to give our hearts worship, to give our broken lives holiness. And to step up and step out, active trust. If you and I can do that, then we will know Jesus in the midst. Lord, tonight we open our hearts and make you so welcome. You are an amazing God, Father. I pray tonight for people that are worried, anxious, maybe even hurting tonight. And we can be here tonight. And if some of us are be quite worried about things. Would you just come and be in the middle of their hearts and lives right now? Would you come and be in the middle of their circumstance and their situation? Marriage, family and home. Would you just be in the middle of their situation? You have the first word and the last word on life. Lord, we say as a church, we want you to be so welcome. Would you come and be in the middle of our lives as a church? Through all of our activity and all that we attempt for you, would you be at the very center? Would you be in the midst of us, we pray? We want you to have the first word and the last word upon Oasis Christian Center. We trust you tonight, Father God. Over our nation, we trust you. Some trust in chariots, their own finance, but we trust in the arm of God tonight. I trust in you, God. I don't trust in any other name, any other way, but you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to you except through you, Lord Jesus. So come into our hearts, circumstance and situation, we pray. In your mighty name we ask. Amen. Now, while we were praying tonight, um, as we were praying before the meeting, uh, I think it was David was praying a prayer about no constraints. Let there be no constraints. Let there be no constraints over us as a church, over your people, Lord. And while he prayed that prayer, I had something that I don't normally get, but... I usually if, if God speaks to me, it's usually through a feeling and then a word. But I had a picture which doesn't happen to me very often, but it did tonight. And immediately when David was praying, I had a picture of someone in a strait jacket. You know this guy Harry Houdini, used to have one of these things that used to hold him like this in a straitjacket. And when you're in a strait jacket, you move around like this, you squirm around and around, and after about a minute they do it in a way that they can get the body out of the jacket. And I felt God's, and and then I saw saw, uh, a figure come in, like shining light, with a sword, and and cut the straitjacket, and the straitjacket fell off, and the person stood free. And I felt God say, um, "You can wriggle as much as you like, and you can try as much as you can, but you can't escape. And there are people here that can't escape, and the atmosphere over the church." You can work hard and you can wriggle and you can squirm and you can try, but it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and it's the Holy Spirit that's going to come and set you free. And I just feel that tonight, maybe you have a habit, an attitude that's hard to break, maybe a hurt, something like that that seems to hold on to your life, and you don't seem to, a thought, it might be a reoccurring thought that pulls you down. I don't know. Or something that weighs heavy on your life that is holding your life. Circumstance, perhaps, that you can't escape from. And it's got like a straitjacket over your life. So can we just close our eyes just for a moment? We won't continue this for too long. But I just feel that maybe it's circumstance that's suffocating you. Maybe it's something you just don't seem to get a breakthrough on. You've prayed and prayed and prayed, but it's just holding you. Maybe you have an addiction. No one's going to look at you because we're going to do an appeal. Or a habit that is breaking, hard to break. Maybe it's a recurring thought. Not good ones. I just pray right now, Father God, that you will come. And that you will come with the sword of your spirit, the word of God. Holy Spirit, will you come. And where people have struggled to break free, I pray that you will just cut the chains or cut the cord of that straitjacket, as it were, of circumstance, of worry, of addiction, of habit, of words that have been said over someone's life, of, of anger or, or, frust- or s- s- frustration. Uh, can't, break, can't seem to break free. Don't seem to have a breakthrough. Don't have an answer to prayer. Would you just come with the sword of the Spirit and just cut the straitjacket away, Lord, so that an answer comes, that freedom comes. Set each one free right now. Lord, over the spiritual atmosphere, over our church, Oasis Christian Centre, we just pray, every constraint we pray, be set free. With the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, just sever every, every bondage, everything that holds back. If it's constraint over the building, constraint over hearts and minds, constraint over ministry, constraint over the ground. If it's a straitjacket over the ground, if anything's been said and done of the history, Lord, we just pray, release and freedom. Sword of the Spirit, just cut the cord free, we pray, so that straitjacket just falls off of us as a church and off of people right now. Holy Spirit, would you just come? With power and forgiveness and release. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you feel that that's you. That you've been praying for a breakthrough. You can't seem to get a breakthrough. There's, it, could be, it could be a habit. It could be an addiction. It could be an anger. It could be a frustration. It could be a circumstance in your life. Would you just stand up right now? As soon as you can. I know it takes, it takes a lot of courage to do this, but there's people doing it now. As soon as you can. As soon as you can. No one's... Do you know what? It's brilliant. Anyone else? Just stand up right now. Stand up right now if you feel that you're looking for a breakthrough over your life. Now, Holy Spirit, I just pray. Just, we just all pray together. What, just close our eyes. We're just going to pray together for folks as they stand right now. You can still I, take the opportunity to stand if you want to stand as well right now. We just pray freedom for each one of our friends as they stand Right now, Holy Spirit, would you just release each one of them from the straitjacket that is upon their life right now. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and bring a tremendous sense of freedom. Free the spiritual atmosphere over this place, Father, right now. And free each of their lives. May they know a breakthrough for each of the things that they're standing for right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.